Huckabee. Ben Stein tackles the economy and dangers of socialism. Music legends Marilyn Nakua and Billy Davis Jr. perform. And Aaron Tippin takes Mike out for barbecue. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilton. And now, here's Mike Thank you very, very much. What a joy to have you here. Okay, let me get the obvious thing out of the way. If you notice, there's a little something going on on my nose. So I wanted to tell you about it. Some of you are saying, I bet you put your nose where it had no business. <laughs> uh, I started to tell you, because I thought it might be believable, that I went and got a nose ring and my grandkids yanked on it, and this was the result. <laughs> Somehow, I didn't think you would believe that either. So here's the ugly truth. Uh, my regular checkup at the dermatologist, they discovered there was something they needed to look at, and they looked at it very closely and said to me, you have a melanoma on your nose. I said, that's not a good place. When you make your living in television, you need this to happen on your back or your leg, or your rear end, or any place. <laughs> However, thankfully, uh, doctors got all of the melanoma, the cancer cells, out. And then there was another surgery to try to put my nose back together. And actually, to be honest with you, it looks fantastic compared to what it looked like just a week ago. So be glad that I didn't come out here and scare the living daylights out of you. <laughs> now, let's get to the show. So when was the last time you went through your refrigerator and your pantry to see if there were some items there that were beyond their sell-by or their use-by dates? Look, it really hurts me to throw away those green beans that were supposed to be used by August of 2011. Uh, or the mayonnaise that really would have been good on one of your sandwiches when your 10-year-old son was just a lap baby. But come on, sometimes you gotta let it go. See, I feel the same way about elected officials. There are some I really like. I like them a lot. They're good and decent people. They show no signs of having been corrupted by the nasty process that politics has become. But like those jars and cans in the cupboard, there comes a time when it's time to go. I like term limits for people who are elected and in fact, for those who are appointed. You know, it's hard for me to believe that there are only 535 people in a nation of 330 million who are capable of serving in Congress. Now, I'm not quite as cynical as the observer who opined that we could pick out 535 random names from the phone book and do as well. I'll say it again. There are some truly great people <laughs> from both parties who serve unselfishly and honorably and who went to Washington for all the right reasons. But running water is usually preferable to stagnant water. And even that porcelain device in your home was designed so that you flush it with fresh water regularly. <laughs> the argument against term limits is that the most effective term limit is an election and voters can always send somebody home. But in 90% of races, the incumbent wins re-election because it's hard to overcome the power of incumbency. Now, we've got term limits for the president and other members in the executive branch. So if we really believe in three equal branches, then shouldn't we either term limit the legislative and, yes, the judicial, or else take the term limits off the executive branch? Make them equal indeed. I worked to get term limits in Arkansas, and I lived with those limits that ended my own run as governor. To the surprise of some, I believed in term limits more after serving. Now, there were some legislators who fought term limits and said, well, they just couldn't learn the state budget in a mere eight years in the state Senate. <laughs> to that, I'd say, you can go to medical school and be a doctor in four years. You know, the budget may not be that simple. 
It certainly isn't harder than being a physician. Here's my thought. If it takes a person that long to understand how the state spends the taxpayer's money, they need to go home and do something simpler. Simple as that. I mean, term limits mean that there are some fresh ideas and experiences coming into the process. And by the way, when people get first elected, they're usually immune from the pressure of lobbyists and bureaucrats because they come in not trusting them. And usually, they've run against them. But after a while, amidst the trappings of power, the relationships from the friends back home start to dim, and the relationships with the institutionalized power brokers grow stronger and more influential. Would we lose some good people? Oh, yeah. But we would finally get rid of some really bad people and corrupt people. And I'm willing to make that trade. How about you? Think it's okay? You all know my first guest from his many movie and TV appearances, both as an actor and as one of the few people in Hollywood who actually knows something about economics. Prior to being known in Hollywood, he served as an economist in the Nixon administration. We welcome author, economist, attorney, actor, and expert on practically everything, Ben Stein. Ben, what a delight <laughs> to have you here. Thank you for joining me. It's an honor to be here, sir. An honor to be here, and you're a great man, sir. And I want to thank you on, in person and over the air for being such a good friend to the state of Israel. The, Amer the Jews of America and the Jews of the world do not forget our friends, and you are a great friend of the people of Israel. Well, you're very kind. Thank you, sir. But I want to talk about the economy here in the U.S. that uh, is kind of under yes. siege. There's so many younger people, millennials, believe that we ought to be moving towards socialism. What's wrong with that? If socialism supposedly will take from the rich and give to the poor, it never works out that way in real life. In real life, what happens is that the poor get poorer and the rich get richer. There, there is no magic formula for making poor people rich except having the poor people get an education, direct themselves towards acquiring human capital in the form of education in a field that pays well, and then go to work like maniacs. I mean, you find a person who's rich, and that person is a, is a person who's going to be working like a madman. He's not going to be complaining like a madman. There are some leaders within the uh, Democratic Party, among them Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is sort of the voice, the face of the Democratic Party. Just the Party. name makes my blood run cold. <laughs> her, her ignorance is profound, and she's a scary, scary woman. God bless her. God bless her soul. I don't want to. I don't want to take away from any human being whom God has created on this earth. <laughs> but uh, she really needs an education. I don't know where. I don't know where she went to college. If she went to college at all, but she needs an education. The book you have written, The Capitalist Code. Obviously, it's not a book she has read or taken to heart. What is in that book that you wish the Democrat candidates for president would glean that they obviously haven't uh, accepted? Capitalism is a form of allowing the poor to alley-oop themselves up to the top by working and hard, working hard at that. It's not a magic formula, it's not a magic bullet, but it's as close to a magic bullet as we've ever gotten in the history of mankind. We are talking about a system that allows anyone Anyone, 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 like as in anyone, 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 <laughs> allows anyone to get rich just by working hard and expressing himself and expressing herself as a, as a hardworking person. There's no such thing as a, co a country that has made itself poor by being capitalist. Let's talk about some that were rich and have turned themselves into poverty-stricken nations. Venezuela is the most recent example, once one of the richest nations on earth. What happened in Venezuela? They said, we're going to make our politics the politics of envy, the politics of jealousy, the politics of sterile, vicious jealousy, and make the rich people pay. And they tried to do that, and it didn't work, and the society is now down to rationing and down to poor people not being able to get medical expenses paid for. Not being even rich people can't get medical expenses paid for at this point in that country. Venezuela made itself, committed suicide itself by becoming a socialist country. Some of the candidates for president have suggested that we need to forgive all college debt, 
that we need to pay reparations to people uh, whose ancestors 150 uh, years ago might have uh, been enslaved. Uh, it sounds awfully good to have all that free stuff. I would like some free stuff myself. I have a son who doesn't work, and I'd like to be able to support him by writing a check on the free stuff account. Uh, he's 31 years old, and he's never worked a day in his life, and he won't be watching this, so I'm not worried about him <laughs> being having his feelings hurt. Uh, the uh, uh, I, I'd like to have a society where everything is free the way God intended it to be, but it can't happen. I mean, there's no such thing as value in a society in which everything is free. And we can't, simply cannot take away from people who have worked hard and give us the people who haven't worked at all. We just can't do it. It cannot, it cannot work as a societal measure. Look at China. China was a communist country, socialist country, and it's still a socialist country and it's still a dictatorship. But look how much richer they are now that they've switched to be part capitalist. The difference is dramatic. In the book uh, that I mentioned earlier, The Capitalist Code, you talk about how one can harness the U.S. economy. If you were king for the day and the president said, Ben, the economy is yours, tinker with it as you will, what would you do? <laughs> we have to have people, if they acquire debt, they have to pay for it. The president does not have an unlimited stock of free things to give away to people. It would be nice if he did, but he doesn't. So well, let's have people work for the stuff that they, that they need and want, and that teaches people responsibility. Ben, it's a pleasure to have you, and uh, I hope folks will uh, it reject. It is a pleasure. Well, thank you. I hope they reject socialism. Read the book, Capitalist Code, by Ben Stein. I think they'll uh, find it makes a whole lot more sense than some of the crazy things coming out of Washington. His book is called The Capitalist Code. You can find it and all of his other books, plus his latest writings and TV appearances, all at his website, mrbenstein.com. Now, Keith Bilbrey sure knows a lot about our show tonight, if we can find him. I'm not saying he's a Ferris Bueller, but Bilbrey, Bilbrey. Yes. Keith Bilbrey. Yes. Tell us uh, about uh, the show. Uh, sorry, Mike, but our show moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Coming up, from Convict to Bear, it's Jermaine Wilson. Country Music's Aaron Tippin talks barbecue with Mike, plus comedian Rocky Laporte and Grammy Award winners Marilyn Baku and Billy Davis Jr. All right here on Huckabee. My next guest is a living miracle. At age 11, he began using drugs, and not long after, he became a felon and found himself behind bars. But that was before God turned his life around. Today, he is the mayor. Did you hear me? He is the mayor of Leavenworth, Kansas. Not an inmate in Leavenworth. He's the mayor of the city. And he's here to share the absolutely amazing story Please welcome the Honorable Mayor himself, Jermaine Wilson. Yes, Mayor, hey, welcome. Good to be here, sir. What a story. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You are a great reminder to me why we need to never give up on people. Yes, sir. What happened to you as a kid that took you down the wrong road? Well, it was hard to think about becoming successful when you were exposed to violence and crime at an early age. And you were? Yes, sir, correct. Mm -hmm. And my mother, she moved us into a neighborhood, uh, which was the ghetto, and she worked two jobs and did everything she could, you know, to move us up, uh, to move us out. And when she saved enough money, she did succeed in that in moving us out. But we were exposed to so much violence and had family members who was incarcerated, selling drugs, dad been to prison, brother been to prison. And it seemed like that was the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the curse, the hereditary mm. curse that was in my family. And so people labeled me as being a statistic already early on. And I said, I'd never go to prison. But I started picking up those rocks and throwing them at the penitentiary, knocking on the prison doors because I was committing crimes, breaking the law. And I looked up to my big brother. He was getting in trouble early on. And because I wanted to be like him, I started committing crimes. 11 years old, started using drugs. I also broke in a, 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 broke in a house. And when I broke in a house, you know, it was a petty crime, but serious crime. I was a short, fat kid and I was hungry. I broke in a house and made a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> but I got arrested. 
And when I got arrested, I was sentenced to jail. And when I was in jail, I cried to the guard. I'm like, please don't call my mom. And he said, now nah, you should have thought about that. And when he called my mom, my mom, she beat me so bad, she stunted my growth. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you're talking about, though? It's not that you didn't have a mother who loved you dearly. Yes. Your mother truly wanted you to be on the right path. Yes, sir. Yes, and your sir, story sir. is like so many kids that grow up in the inner city that your mother was having to work two jobs just to keep food on your table. Yeah. Having that extra free time, I started sneaking out. When you get exposed to doing wrong, you know, you get that thrill, and it was exciting. And when Dad was working, Mom was going working, uh, we just took advantage of that time. And by the age of 15, I committed a robbery charge and was sentenced to two years. And while I was incarcerated, tried to escape, and I was sentenced to four years. And after that juvenile uh, sentence was done, I went back to my old neighborhood, that old lifestyle, and that's when I started selling drugs. I felt like you know, society wasn't going to hire a felon. Yeah. But that wasn't the case. I didn't even try, but I allowed that stigma that was placed upon me. I accepted it. And once I got involved off in the hustle and had a son who was eight months old, you know, I was so desensitized. I was high all the time. I neglected my responsibilities and I wasn't ready to own up to be a father. And before I knew it, you know, I left that house that day when my girlfriend told me not to. And I ended up, I didn't see my son until three years later. That's when I got got arrested and caught with drugs. So what was the turning point? Because, I mean, that is a very different lifestyle than being mayor of Leavenworth, Kansas yes, now. Yes, sir. Something big must have happened in Jermaine's life. What was yes, it? Yes, sir. When I was in prison, I was at the lowest point of my life. I was broken down, stripped away from everything that I had. I had nowhere to run to, nowhere to turn to. And so when I'm down and out, there's only one other place to go, and that's up. And when I looked up, I cried out to God. I said, Lord, if you're real, I need you to come speak into my heart right now. I want a second chance. I want to be a father. I want to be responsible. Help me because I can't change myself and I need you. And when I cried out to God for the first time in my life, I felt free. I felt peace. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, uh, the best feeling that I ever had in my life. And I didn't want to lose that feeling. And when I'd had that feeling, I knew right then and there, God had changed my heart. When did you say, I'm going to run for the city council and ultimately become the mayor of Leavenworth, Kansas. Yes, sir. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big jump. Yes, sir. So I was actually serving the community. Uh, we were working with our local law enforcement. There was so much racial tension taking place in society. We wanted to uh, uh, create a solution to the problem. So we started working with the local law enforcement. We created an organization called Unity in the Community, and it was serving the underserved, uniting people, uh, community leaders, church leaders. And this one particular day when we had an event with our police department, youth versus the police department in basketball, we had food giveaway, clothes giveaway, and people were like, who put that event on? I said, oh, that little short guy over there. I said, is that, I got a childhood nickname, Too Short. They said, is that Too Short? What is he doing? And then that's when people started coming to me. They said, you ever thought about politics? I said, oh, no. That's the devil's playground. I don't do politics. You were right about that. Yeah. And then uh, a person came to me. He said, man, one day, he said, you could possibly become the mayor the way that you're serving people. Mm. I said, yeah, right. And when I said that, it's like God spoke to my heart. It was saying, why not? And I realized I had put limitations on a big God. Mm. And that's when I was like, God, forgive me. Whatever door you opened up, I'm going to walk through. And when I gave it all up to God, that's all it took. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things shall be added unto you. What a great, yes, great story, Jermaine. God yes, bless you. God bless you as well. Man, you are an inspiration and encouragement, not just to me and this audience, but to kids all over the country who think that there's no hope for them getting out of the hole there. Yes, sir. And you're living proof yes, that sir. there is hope. It is. Thank you, my friend. Yes, sir. What a joy to have you here. Hey, if you want to learn more about this amazing man and the great city that he's leading as mayor, you can visit LVKS. That's obviously for Leavenworth, Kansas. LVKS.org. Follow the mayor on Facebook at Jermaine Wilson LV. What a great story. Keith, good luck. But tell us what's coming up. Well, next, news to make you smile at country star Aaron Tippett, later comedian Rocky Laporte, and the legendary Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. perform on Huckabee. And welcome back. Wondering where you can turn to find out that a liberal media mogul loves the president's success with the economy? 
are perhaps where you can get honest coverage of the civil war taking place this week in the Democratic Party? Well, just go to MikeHuckabee.com. We have straightforward news analysis with a little humorous chaser for you every day. And don't forget to follow me at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. I promise you're going to be thrilled with both, but your Aunt Tifa may not be. <laughs> now, from the World Wife Carrying Championship to the Driving Dead, we've got the news that is lifting up women and raising the dead on a segment we call In Case You Missed It. All righty. First up, a little news from my home state of Arkansas. Ever been on that date where the girl says, I'm not hungry, and then proceeds to eat your entire meal one bite at a time? Well, Mama D's Diner in Little Rock has the answer, and I predict it's going to sweep the culinary world. They call it the my girlfriend is not hungry option on their menu. It's right on the menu. For a mere $4 and a quarter, they'll add extra fries and either a couple of chicken wings or three fried cheese sticks to your plate so she can pilfer your meal, never knowing it's for her. And you get to enjoy what you actually ordered. Plus, a Lithuanian couple whose names I won't even attempt to pronounce, I will show them to you on the screen. There they are. Yeah, those two right there. Well, they just won the World Wife Carrying Championship for the second year in a row. Now, these guys do more than carry their wives over the threshold of their door. Couples worldwide travel to Finland to comp compete in this. In order to win, husbands have to strap their wives over their backs and run a 278-yard obstacle course. V and Nur finished in just under a minute and seven seconds to win the title. Now, rules state that wives have to weigh at least 108 pounds, but not too light, you see, because the prize for winning is your wife's weight in beer. <laughs> Something tells me that Nur will be carrying V home on her back after the celebration. <laughs> well, the state of Nevada has an HOV problem they never, ever expected. Dead people riding along to make HOV minimum passenger numbers. That's right. The Nevada Highway Patrol issued an announcement that you can only use the carpool lane if all the passengers are living. <laughs> you see, State Trooper Travis Smaka pulled over a hearse looking to beat traffic. The driver assumed that the body that he was carrying made him compliant with the HOV <laughs> to our more occupants rule for use of the lane. So Trooper Smaka said, that was one of the more interesting responses I've gotten. Yeah, no kidding. Smaka said he told the driver to get out of the lane, but he did let him off with just a warning. Governor, by, by the way, can I interrupt? Yeah, go ahead. Did I ever tell you about a, a month before my uncle died, he had his back covered in lard? Covered in lard? Why yeah. in the world would he do that? Well, you know, I never found out, but after they covered his back in lard, he went downhill real fast. <laughs> well, Keith, when my uncle was dying, he couldn't remember his blood type. But I will say that as he passed, he kept, he just insisted to all of us, be positive. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but it's been hard without him, I'll tell you that. All right, let's move on. A young lady named Erin Herman has vaulted her dad's saxophone playing to new heights with her viral postings of his serenading cows by the side of the road. Now, this show is not the one to turn up for upgrades and updates for things like cow sacks. But as you can plainly hear Aaron's dad, Rick Herman's cow performances are utterly bovine. <laughs> Rick's been playing saxophone for seven months and said outside of family, the pasture performance is his first attempt with a larger audience. Well, friends, these were no sacrificial cows being punished by a musical novice. No. As the video clearly reveals, Rick is a bit of a cow charmer as the four-footed audience wandered over to crowd the fence. Daughter Erin said that Rick's soothing sounds aren't a big hit with their family dog, who has even chewed up her dad's reeds for the instrument. Well, as the old saying goes, one dog's trash, 
is a dairy cow's treasure. <laughs> By the way, I'm surprised the bulls on the farm didn't bring their horns to the show. <laughs> They're turning on me. Side note, it is alleged that Rick's playing of cool, smooth jazz did generate a rash of new calves on the farm. <laughs> All right, now for a few educational shout-outs. A big shout-out to the Palm Beach County School District in Florida for reassigning Mr. William Latson, the former principal of Spanish River High School. Mr. Latson allegedly refuses to say the Holocaust against the Jewish people in World War II happened because, quote, not everyone believes the historical event in which more than six million people were murdered by the Nazis ever really happened. Latson told a student's mother, and I quote, I can't say the Holocaust is a factual historical event because I'm not in a position to do so as a school district employee. Well, the school begged to differ when they said, quote, in addition to being offensive, the principal's statement is not supported by either the school district administration or the school board. Perhaps a trip to Europe and some face-to-face -face meetings with the families of survivors would be helpful to Mr. Latson to gain a better understanding of this horrific moment of history that we all pray will never happen again. And a record-breaking shout-out to a man that you've seen a few times on In Case You Missed It right here on the show, a guy named David Rush. He holds more than 100 Guinness Book of World Record titles and he just added another one, this time throwing and catching a flaming sword 64 times in one minute. Now, David did confess to lighting the stage on fire when he dropped the flaming sword in practice, but they were able to put the fire out because cooler heads prevailed. Well, like a school teacher on vacation in August, we've run out of time. But always remember, we read the news. Well, recently, I drove down Interstate 40 to Cookville, Tennessee to visit a good friend in country music, Mr. Aaron Tippin. Had some great things to share, including a restaurant named Rib City. We are in Rib City in Cookville, Tennessee, which, by the way, is the home of Keith Bilbrey. I'm just real disappointed there's not some big billboard outside of town that tells everybody that, because they should. But I'm here with uh, my good friend Aaron Tippin. Aaron, great to see you, my friend. Glad to be here, brother. 30 years in the music business. A lot of folks don't make it that long. <laughs> you know, and I'm honestly, Governor, about year two, I wondered if I was going to make it <laughs> year three. But, you know, I've been blessed. I'm lucky. Uh, I've, hang on, I've hung on to this and uh, had great fans through the years. But the support and strength of those folks that, that love to come hear my music and sing along with me, they're still coming. Well, you know, you had so many big hits with great lyrics. Kiss This, I mean, <laughs> but I mean, Big Boy Toys, another song that every man can Thanks, visualize. Do you have a favorite song out of all the ones that you've done? A song that Thea and I wrote about my dad after he passed away. It's a tune called He Believed. And it's, uh, it's all the things my dad believed in. Mm. But on top of all the things he believed in, most of all, he believed in me. And that guy was my, my hero. My dad was my hero. He's the coolest guy I ever met as far as I'm concerned. Do you realize how rare it is to have a father who not only was there for you, but who instilled in you that sense of confidence? I've seen you do it in your own sons. And that's, that's world-changing, Aaron. My dad had a favorite saying, because uh, folks come up and they say, Wow, Tip, you're raising a great boy there. And he'd say, I'm not raising a boy, I'm raising a man. Oh, wow. We're losing that, aren't we, in America? Yeah, that, that's, that's a sad thing, I think. We, we really are. And, and, and somebody to teach kids that, that there comes a time to be tough. Mm -hmm. And you got to suck it up. And you got to run with it. You know, and there's time you, you got to be humble and, and you got to be peaceful and you got to be loving. And, and that's all the things my dad was. My dad didn't tell me he loved me till I was about maybe 24 years old. He was, he was a tough guy, it was all uh -huh. tough love, but uh, he found Christ. Mm. And after that, I remember he always said it. And the coolest thing, you know, I finally got to say that to my dad. Yeah. You know, just before he passed away, uh, a couple of weeks, uh, he was coming up for turkey hunting. And, and I said, all right, dad, I'll see you later, I love you. He said, I love you. And you know, my boys, they had trouble with that when they, uh -huh. were, when they were really young. It, they get out of the car and I'd say, love you boys. 
you know, and they, they said, see you, Dad. You know, and they'd get out, and their friends would be standing around. Uh -huh. One morning, I, I pulled up in front of school, and I put her in park. And I said, hey, boys, I love you. And they said, see that? I said, well, hold it. I said, let me tell you what's going to happen here. I said, are you eager to tell me you love me in the car here? I said, or I'll let you get out on the sidewalk, and I'm going to come around the car, and I'm going to kiss you right in the mouth in front of your friends. <laughs> I bet they said okay, said, David. Love you, Dad. Love you, see ya. <laughs> Aaron, I think we're about to get some food coming up here to the table. What do you think? I think you're exactly <laughs> right. All right. Chad, thank you very much. Well, thanks for coming. Well, you talk while we eat. You just go ahead and tell us about Rib City. <laughs> well, we're a family-owned business here. We've been open about uh, nine years. Just enjoy making great, great food and great barbecue. And we do, we do a lot of catering. We've done some events out at at Aaron's place and done yeah. some catering for him out there. Have you been in the restaurant business before Rib City? No, this was our, our first venture as far as being a restaurant, mm -hmm. for sure. Well, I'd, I'd say you've mastered it. Aaron, you did well by inviting us over here to eat with you. I had to show it off. Thanks I, I would shake hands with you and Chad, but I got barbecue sauce all over him, and I plan to have some more on me before we finish. So uh, <laughs> I want to say thanks to Aaron Tippin for joining us over here, and Chad Westfall and the great crew at Rib City in Cookville, Tennessee, right on I-40. You're gonna leave a plate of bones, and you'll walk out slow, guarantee it. <laughs> well, our thanks to Aaron Tippin. He is currently on tour, and you can find out where to see him by going to AaronTippin.com. His show is worth twice the price of admission. And by the way, if you're in a greater Cookville, Tennessee area, you just got to stop by Rib City. Their barbecue is so good that if you're not careful, your tongue will slap your brains out. <laughs> in fact, their ribs are so great, they make this promise. If you have to pick up a knife to eat them, they'll pick up the tab. Don't miss out on this great American restaurant. And you can learn more online. Just go to ribcity.com. You can almost taste their ribs by following them on Twitter at Rib City Cookful. And hopefully Keith Bilbrey hasn't left to go get himself some ribs, and maybe he can tell us what's coming up after the break. I'm thinking about it. Up next, comedy with Rocky Laporte, plus founders of the Fifth Dimension, Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. perform right here on Huckabee. I know that many of you watching have hearts that care for the hurting, and you want to help make a difference in restoring lives. Samaritan's Purse is on the front lines wherever there is a spiritual or a physical need. You can reach out today and share the love of Christ to someone who is in need by calling the number on your screen or visiting the Samaritan's Purse website. With severe weather expected to hit the Gulf Coast, your help will be urgently needed. You're going to receive a blessing as well as provide one to somebody who is in deep need. You'll do it by your compassion. Well, you have seen my next guest's blue-collar comedy everywhere, from movies to The Tonight Show and Last Comic Standing. He's open for Tim Allen, entertained troops in Iraq with Drew Carey. Would you please welcome the very funny Rocky Laporte. Thank you. Thank you very much. I had to go to the doctor this week. Don't you hate going to the doctor, folks? Right? Like, they always make you fill out those forms. And they're like, uh, who should we notify in case of an emergency? I'm like, how about the doctor? How about that? <laughs> they're like, no, we mean like a parent. I'm like, oh, well, they're probably just going to call the doctor. <laughs> what are your parents going to do, you know? They're like, Mrs. Laporte, your son's been in an accident. And she's like, Give him ice cream. He really likes the ice cream. <laughs> They're asking my mother for medical advice. Like, she knows what's going on. They go, is he a hemophiliac? And she's like, no, he's, he's Italian. <laughs> That's the stuff they ask you. He goes, you got a big family? I'm like, my dad's kind of fat. <laughs> I'm like, where's this going? <laughs> Then he always asks you for closest living relative. I'm like, from here or my house? <laughs> I don't know. I put four miles. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
took him a second. I, uh, <laughs> right? And, uh, then they always ask you, they go, does anything run in your family? I'm like, uh, bad decisions and broken dreams. <laughs> and you ever go up there for an exam and then you're sitting up there, you know, and you're in that room with your underwear on and he comes in, he's like, put your clothes back on, I'm an eye doctor. <laughs> right? Fight a dollar every time that happened. And uh, this week we had my big uh, high school uh, GED reunion. So uh, thank you very much. Uh, so I was excited. Folks, <laughs> I didn't do good in school. I remember one time I bring my, my report card home. I'm like, I go, hey, Pop, I got a B in reading. He goes, that's a D, you idiot. I'm not even making this up. One time, remember those tests they used to give you in school, the ones they go, uh, if Bob is half of Betty's age, and in two years, he'll be two-thirds Betty's age, they go, uh, how do you find Bob's age? And uh, I go up to him and I go, hey, Bob. <laughs> so how old are you now? <laughs> the school teacher was asking around, and how old's Betty going to be in case it comes up at a later date? <laughs> yeah. Remember that stuff? Then, then they go show your work, right? They go show your work. I draw a picture of me walking up to Bob. I'm not even making this up. One time on my report card, I got an F minus. Do you believe that? <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's hard to do. It's like, it's like you failed and then some. <laughs> you know, my, t my teacher, she goes, I think you have trouble comprehending. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I hate a school. You ever crying when you're a kid and then your parents, they go, hey, they go, I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah, and you're like, I currently have something that I'm crying about. Yeah. But if I need any further assistance, I don't know. Folks, I actually skipped the grid. I went from fifth to third. So uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. If you weren't doing comedy, what on earth would you be doing? Uh, I don't know. My grandma, she always wanted me to be a pope, you know? <laughs> so, uh... No, no big ambition there, huh? Uh, I, I, I like to wear hats and wave at people, you know? I, I think I'd be a pretty good pope. And they, they probably got good health benefits and stuff, right? <laughs> I don't know. I think it'd be fun. So uh, how'd you get started? What, what, when did it first, like, come into your head, I'm going to be a comedian and walk out there and make people laugh? Well, there's two things, kind of. Uh, one, uh, when I was a kid, my uncle was in the business. You know, we used to listen to him on the radio all the time. And uh, it wasn't really a radio. It was like a police scanner, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. he, was, uh, uh, he, he was known as the perp. <laughs> But I remember one time, it was at my sister's wedding, and I was a kid, I was maybe like eight years old, and they had, remember they had live bands back then, you know, yeah, at the yeah. wedding? And, uh, you know, and sometimes you go up and tip them. And I remember the band, like, I couldn't believe these guys would do it. I would go up, i go, hey, my, you know, the bride, which was my sister, I go, she wants to hear Batman. So uh, I couldn't believe these idiots. They kept doing it, like some eight-year-old kids coming up. I was asking them to play Rawhide and Batman, and it's like, <laughs> I don't know, I'm an idiot, so. <laughs> So you travel all over the country. Uh, you're at Zany's Club this weekend in Nashville. Yeah, and Sunday I'll be there at uh, Zany's. You guys want to come out? You know, we've got some seats left. And yeah, I, it's my first time back in Nashville in about 10 years. And uh, man, the town changed. You guys are doing a lot, you know? A lot of stuff's going on here. You know, I, I think a lot of people don't understand how hard you work to do what you do. Yeah. You've got to love doing what you're doing. You could never put up with all of the travel and the, the yeah. constant just 
shuffling about like that. So what is it deep inside of you, Rocky, that motivates you to want to go out there and make people laugh? I don't know. It's just something I always uh, wanted to do, you know. I always wanted to just, it made me happy to make people laugh, you know. And I, I don't know, like out there, everybody's like, you know, everybody's in a race against each other, you know, at work and in traffic. And I think comedy is the only thing that, when everybody's in a room together, brings everybody together, you know? Like, we're all there laughing. It's a, it's a good thing, you know? So even your dad, who uh, didn't think you did well on your report card, he's happy with you now, huh? <laughs> yeah, my family's proud of me now, you know, after doing it for 20 years. <laughs> they finally came around. <laughs> yeah. But we love having you, Rocky. What a delight Thank to have you. Thank you, sir. Everybody needs to laugh more, and you are helping us do it in a great and wonderful way. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. Now, if you are here in the Nashville area, be sure and catch Rocky at Zany's Comedy Club this Sunday, July the 14th. And also, for more tour dates, booking info to have him come to you, other fun stuff, visit RockyLaporte.com. You can also follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Rocky Laporte. It is right on your screen. His Facebook address, at Comedian Rocky Laporte. Now, the not-quite-as-funny Keith Bilbrey is going to take over. He'll try to do his best to tell us what's coming up. Well, thank you very much. Coming up, the award-winning duo Marilyn Baku and Billy Davis Jr. are here on Huckabee. And welcome back. My next guests are a husband and wife music-making power couple. Now, together, they created hit songs like Up, Up, and Away, Aquarius, Let the Sunshine In, and You Don't Have to Be a Star to Be in My Show, and many, many others. Well, I got to confess that I wanted to meet them and perform with them as long as I can remember. Marilyn McCoo may have one of the most recognizable and silky smooth and delightful voices in music during any time. And Billy Davis Jr. is soul with a capital S. I want you to make welcome Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. Seven Grammys, 15 gold, three platinum records. I mean, you guys have been absolutely killing it for 50 years, which is how long you have been married. I, isn't that amazing? 50 <laughs> years. I know. It's, where does the time fly? And you still look like, yeah. say, like you're younger than me, you know? <laughs> which I don't appreciate very much. <laughs> you're a rarity. Most people in the entertainment business they don't stay married 50 years. No. But I read your book, which I loved, by the way, called oh, Up, Up, and Away. Thank you. A phenomenal book. One of the best entertainment books I've ever read. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And, and you guys, it wasn't love at first sight. No. No, it really wasn't. But, but we became friends. Yeah. We started talking about life and, and our passion for music, and, and we discovered that we really had a lot in common. And he was funny. He made me laugh. I'm still making her laugh. Still making yeah, her right. laugh. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you were from St. Louis. Yeah. Totally different background, coming up, really tough neighborhood. Uh, Marilyn, you were the daughter of two medical doctors growing up <laughs> in the fluent uh, life in Los Angeles. So, I mean, it's not like you two just would, would meet up on Match.com. Oh, no, no, no. In fact, it wasn't even a Match.com happening during that time. <laughs> but, I mean, there was something magical about the two of you, despite vast differences. From the book, I gleaned it was two things. One was music, mm -hmm. and the other, it ultimately was about your faith in Jesus Christ. Exactly right. As he yeah. brought the two of you into a depth of relationship that was different than anything else. Yes. Well, you know... When you come right down to it, we really say that without the Lord in our lives, we probably would not be married today. Yeah. One of the things we had to learn was we had to let each one be who you are, mm -hmm. who they are. You know, yes. and, and uh, we can't, you can't change a person, you know. You can only love them for, for who they are, That's you know. Right. Well, it and, must have worked. 50 years is an yeah. extraordinary time to be yeah. married, whether you're in Hollywood or not. But I want to talk about the, the early days of the band, Fifth Dimension. You guys were making music that made people happy. Mm -hmm. 
I grew up in the 60s, as a lot of our audience probably did. It was not a happy time. Yeah. There were assassinations, riots in the streets, divided beyond anything we see today. Yeah. And then the fifth dimension comes along and you're singing happy songs. Yeah. America needed you guys. Did you, did yeah. you sense that at the time? No, we just, really. we just loved what we did. Yeah. Yeah. We felt like it was our job to entertain the people and, and make, them, make them have a good time when they came to see us. You know, when, when, when we would do Up, Up, and Away, a song like that, yeah. especially during those times, like you were saying, there was so much going on, you know, politically, and I mean, just all kind of mess. Uh, and if you hear Up, Up, and Away, you forgot about your troubles. Yeah. It just, it just took you somewhere else. It was a happy song. Yeah. There's something mm -hmm. that I found amazing. Story in your book. Tell our audience how losing your wallet became one of the greatest <laughs> moments of your life. Yeah, well, actually, we were in New York City. We were working at the uh, Americana Hotel. And uh, I went out shopping that day, and I lost my wallet. I happened to lose it in a cab. In, so, New York City. In, New, in, in New York City. In New York City, of all places. Bye-bye, <laughs> wallet. Yeah, that's what I said. You know. <laughs> and uh, so I came upstairs in the hotel, and I said, baby, I, I, I lost my wallet. I, I don't know where it's at. And uh, so Marilyn told me then, she said, well, you're in New York, you can forget it. You ain't gonna never <laughs> yeah. see that. So about maybe a couple of hours later, I got to get this phone call, and the guy says, is this Billy Davis Jr.? I said, yes. He said, well, you know, I got your wallet. What? <laughs> you know, and I said, well, how come I get it right now, you know? And so long story short, I went over to his house, I offered him some money, no, he didn't want it, anything. So I got my wallet, I invited him over to see the Fifth Dimension at the, at the Americana. So him and his wife came over to the Americana, and, and, and after the show, they came backstage and they said, oh, we just loved your show, just loved it. He said, since you were so nice, I'd like to invite you to our show. Yes, I didn't even know who this guy was. What show? He was one of the producers of Hair. We had been trying to get in to see Hair. Yeah. It, and we couldn't even get tickets. So he, he invited you to go see yeah. Hair. Yeah. And then what happened? Well, actually, we heard this young kid. His name was Ronnie, Ronnie Dyson. Yeah. And he was singing Aquarius. Had one of the most beautiful voices, and, and we were sitting there listening to him, and we all came out to the to the lobby at the same time doing the intermission, and we ran to to one another. We said, we said we have to do that song. We got to do that song. It's going to be a hit for us, like you know, a hit, you know. Uh huh. And uh, sure enough, we called our producer, and told Bones. They said, Bones, we we need to do this song. Bones Howe came up with the idea of taking Aquarius and putting it together with Let the Sun Shine In, which was another major song in the production, in yeah. addition to Billy and his adding a little bit of gospel to it. <laughs> well, everything needs a little gospel. There you go. <laughs> well, I got to tell our audience, if you want to get a copy of their book, Up, Up, and Away, How We Found Love, Faith, and Lasting Marriage in the Entertainment World, go to their website. McCooDavis.com, McCooDavis.com. And you can also purchase music and find their concert schedule. That's McCooDavis.com. Keith, why don't you take us up, up and away and tell us what's coming up next. Well, coming up, Mike sits in on bass as Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. sing their classic number one hit. You don't have to be a star. Huckabee's back in 60 seconds. sing their number one hit duet, You Don't Have to Be a Star, are Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr.
Thank you.